0: How Ukrainians overcome the inferiority complex. You're listening to the podcast Explain Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, chief editor of UkraineWorld.org. I was invited by the podcast Ukraine Calling by Romatsky Radio, a Ukrainian independent radio broadcaster, to talk about Ukrainian experience during the war, Russian fascism, the future of this war and about Ukrainian security. Andriy Kulikov, chairman of the Hromatsky Radio NGO and a Ukrainian radio and TV journalist is the host of this conversation.
1: Ukraine Calling Hello and welcome to Ukraine Calling, the English-language podcast from Gromatsky Radio in Kiev. I'm Andrey Kulikov, and our interviewee today is Dr. Volodymyr Yermolenko, who is a Ukrainian philosopher and author and uh, the president of the Ukrainian PEN, Poets, Essays, Novelists. Recently, our mutual acquaintance, a German political scientist, Andreas Sumland, published a note on his Telegram channel saying that one of the books that Woldemar Yermolenko edited back in, I think, 2020 is again in print in the English language and advised that those who are interested in how Ukraine came to be in its modern form and shape should read this book. So, my first question to Volodymyr Yermolenko is, why do you think Andres Sumland made this call and why many people reacted with likes?
0: Hello, Andriy, it's, it's a big pleasure to be on your podcast. So indeed, it's a, it's a book published um, back in 2019, even, by Internet Ukraine, uh, the organization in which I'm also working, and by Ukraine World, our big multimedia website about Ukraine. And our idea was to collect the, the voices of intellectuals, of historians, philosophers, uh, writers, essayists, uh, security experts and to talk about about Ukraine in English and to write a book of essays which would be addressed to the international audiences and uh, it's it's really a, a a book that that collects the multitude of uh, visions uh, on Ukraine it starts from the essays of historians uh, Yaroslav Hrytsak and Serhiy Plohi, one of the most famous u- Ukrainian historians it also has the essays of uh, philosophers like Vakhtang Kibuladze and myself, also, um, very interesting writers like Irena Karpa or Haiska Shiyan. Uh, we also touch upon uh, very important topics like Ukrainian Jewish relationships or uh, Crimea. Uh, Krimli, Crimean Tatar uh, identity. The question of Eastern Ukraine, uh, of course, is touched by Volodymyr Rafenko, a famous Ukrainian uh, novelist. But also, we're raising these issues of how to explain Ukraine to international audiences. And uh, in many aspects, this book is is still very valid, despite the fact that it was written before the big invasion. It was written already after the start of the of the war of twenty fourteen and therefore I think it is it is still very valid and, and lots of ideas, metaphors which are in this book are actually um are actually valid today. But that's an
1: interesting mixture poets and uh, philosophers on the one hand and suddenly
0: security experts how do they mix we have a wonderful security expert who is Hanna Shellist our good friend uh, who is from Odessa i think one of the uh, greatest ukrainian experts in the issues of international relations and security and uh, her essay also actually comes the last so we kind of uh, draw this line between ukrainian um, ancient history uh, the essay by yaroslav Hrytsak uh, starts from herodotus and uh, his account of the black sea and azov sea steps uh, of the northern black sea and azov sea region in the antiquity the Skiths and all, all the stuff and uh, but we end in in today's reality we end in the in the reality of the russian invasion of ukraine of 2014 and basically what hannah uh, hannah shellist is saying in her essay that there are stereotypes there are myths that uh, the, the, the 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 world is sometimes living with for example that you can fight russia or you should deal with the uh, aggressor, you should negotiate with aggressor and, and some other, other things. And um, I think she's brilliantly showing why it is wrong. And therefore, as I say, we try to this draw the line. we try to dig deep into Ukrainian history, into Ukrainian mentalities, into Ukrainian culture, but also talk about the, the harsh political and security reality of, of today. As a
1: person of international renown, Volodymyr Molenko does quite a lot to explain Ukraine to foreign audiences, both in person and uh, online. While doing this, uh, what changes in perception do you see compared to the beginning of the war back in 2014 and uh, harking back to 2022? And uh, what's your main point or several points for this matter?
0: I think in many aspects what we have been saying since 2014 and which were perceived with a kind of a suspicion uh, if we talk about Europe and America, many such things are actually have already gone and that's a good thing. So I think Ukrainians succeeded in, um, in, in making our country and our, our situation more understandable. So, we were, for example, saying that, look, uh, the, the question of the Ukrainian so-called nationalism of the far right is, of course, very important, but it should not be exaggerated. It should it should not be the central issue about which we are, we are talking while we are talking about Ukraine. The question of Russian fascism is underestimated and, and should be talked about, and this is, this is what we actually see right now in this uh, brutal invasion, in this full-scale invasion. Uh, we also were trying to you know go beyond this um, traditional um, focus on Eastern Europe which was the knowledge about Eastern Europe in, in many European American universities were formed by uh, by people who were specializing in Russia slavic studies equalized to russian studies and of course w- we were trying to prove that this is wrong that there is a huge other history of eastern europe which is non-imperial which is democratic which is republican uh, which which dates from the medieval times through the early modern history through uh, kiev medieval state through grand Duchy of lithuania through uh, Re- 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 polish lithuanian commonwealth and so on and so forth and uh, uh, all the stuff i hope that they are better understood i hope that uh, it is better understood that Ukrainians are fighting for not only for our land or for uh, for you know for for our national interests, we are fighting for values and we are fighting for for the values of freedom. and and these are the words which are not banal for us, which are which which have the concrete sense. But there is of course a, a, an issue that we should, we should not only talk with the West, we should also talk with, with other countries, we should talk with uh, with Argentina, with Brazil, with Nigeria, with South Africa, with China, with India, with Japan of course, uh, with, with the Middle East. And uh, this is a much more difficult task actually I think because um, because Ukrainian voices, uh, Ukrainian voice was not present there for for decades or for centuries. And uh, we which kind of trying also to to develop a vocabulary and to talk to these societies too with hope that there are some issues that uh, that these societies and people there can also recognize them uh in in the ukrainian fight and one of the biggest metaphor that we have ukraine in ukraine here is that ukrainian fight is the fight of david against goliath to 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 use the biblical metaphor it's, it's it's the fight of a of an underdog of a of a weaker uh, state against a s- visibly stronger state and that means that the success of the ukrainian fight can also give a chance to other states which were kind of excluded from the global politics from the global culture to express themselves to to assert themselves
1: since you have mentioned uh, the Russian fascism, and since one of your notable books is about fluid ideologies, how do you uh, accept, how do you perceive this term Russian fascism? Is it actually fascism? And uh, what's your attitude towards the term racism, which has been offered or suggested by a number of um, politologists or publicists?
0: I think there are certainly similarities of current putinism with with the fascism with Italian fascism and and German nazism. The first is of course the cruelty and this thinking that actually uh, you accomplish your state only in a big war and uh, the goal of the state is actually the war. Uh, that that's what we see uh, in in contemporary Russia that what we see we have seen in in German nazism and Italian fascism this kind of a militarization of society this idea that society should turn into into soldiers uh, who sacrifice themselves for for some bigger goal and who are actually ready to sacrifice other people uh because they consider other people as uh, lower than themselves the so-called untermenschen, as as the germans german nazis were saying there is another parallel i think is that fascism and nazis were the creation of the wounded empires so the empires that were feeling that they are weak that they are getting weaker uh, but they they the kind of Try to make a revenge uh, against the 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 other powers other societies that actually won against them and uh it, it's clearly the case of uh, of the germany's nazism it's also the case of i think of franco in spain or salazar in portugal uh, it's also a case of mussolini's italy despite the fact that italy was on the winner's side of the first world war but it perceived its victory as, as, a, as a loss because uh, and for it, it, Italian nationalism, uh, the, the results of the war, the Versailles results of the war were not at all what what Italy expected, and I think this is this makes us parallel with Putinist Russia, which also perceives itself as a kind of a wounded empire, the empire which uh, which lost its lands uh, like Ukraine, Belarus, Central Asia, Kazakhstan, the Caucasus, Georgia, Armenia. Um, and, uh, and there is this revanchism so I, I do think that what Putin tries to do is to to have the revenge against the loss in the Cold War and therefore the idea of re-establishment of the Soviet Union is one of these ideas and if this is true then there is a bad news and the good news the good news is that this as this is a reaction of the to the decline of the empire then we will witness this decline because you can you you, you can never dwell in the past uh, But the bad news is that uh, the empires which were in in their decline are actually usually very cruel because they, they, they feel that this is their maybe the last battle. But there is a difference with fascism, I think, an important difference because fascism was an ideology of the young people. Uh, both Hitler and Mussolini were, were relatively young politicians and uh, the the people who followed them were even younger, the 20 years olds, the 30, 25, maybe 30. And this makes a difference with today's Russia because today's Russia is actually very old. Uh, the elites are very old, Putin is very old, his entourage is very old. People who uh, are around him are over the 70s and um and people who support him are also mostly old and i have the metaphor that putinism is a brezhnevism that wants to be stalinism so it's it's a brezhnevism in the sense that it is also a creation of the old elites physically old uh with very very low energy but um, but they want to be stalinism and uh, I do hope that in the long run, uh, this difference will will play a role because Ukraine in this this context is much younger in terms of thinking, in terms of elites. Uh, President Zelensky is just over his 40s and people of his team are usually younger. So I do hope that um, this difference will also be a, a very important factor in Ukrainian struggle against Russian invasion. Volodymyr Yermolenko, Ukrainian author,
1: philosopher, and uh, scientist of uh, politics, researcher of politics, is uh, our interlocutor in the Ukraine Calling uh, podcast on Romansky Radio. And since you've mentioned the Wounded empires. Uh, One of the messages that Putin tries to spread, and of course not only Putin, is that uh, Russia has been wounded by um, evil West and so on and so forth. To which extent do you think the wounds of the Russian Empire are self-inflicted?
0: I think they are self-inflicted because uh, there is also discourse in in some international circles that look we humiliated Russia after after the Cold War, which is not true because. Russia was accepted to all the uh, all the key clubs uh, Russia was given a, a place of the permanent member of the secu- UN security council even in violation of the rules as, as we know today Russia was accepted into uh, G8 Russia was suggested fantastic rules very good very good actually conditions for its trade and and Russia was earning money on its trade with the West, primarily gas and oil, the NATO expansion was primarily made by uh, by the um, by the will of the people of the Central and Eastern European countries. And it, it was actually this argument of Russia that it was threatening its interests uh, is of course a lie. It, it's, it's it's a it's a manipulation because the basic motivation for the NATO expansion was actually to fill the vacuum the security vacuum, which uh, which appeared after the collapse of the Warsaw Pact. And uh, now we, we see that the only countries, the only spots at which actually there is destabilization, there is cruel war, there is genocidal war, are countries were not included into into this new architecture was not included into nato i mean georgia and ukraine and and there is a and moldova to some extent right so there is a clear logic between the, the the fact that georgia and ukraine was were not really given a true nato membership perspective uh, very concrete nato membership perspective and Russia's attack against georgia in 20 uh, 2008 and and its attack against ukraine in 2014 so this is the question of the security vacuum and um, i i think that well there is how our our listeners should understand that uh, we can we can think short term. We can we can think in terms of what will be the result of Ukrainian counteroffensive this year, but we should also think long term. And in the long term thinking, the only way to avoid the further wars of Russia against Ukraine and against maybe Kazakhstan and against Georgia and against other countries of its neighbourhood is actually that there are only two ways: either to Uh, Either to include these countries into collective security, primarily Ukraine, like NATO, or to restore the nuclear weapons uh, of of Ukrainian army. And uh, the nuclear and the NATO are the only things that can contain Russia. We should understand that and we should understand that even if Russia loses this particular war, within the logic of this wounded empire it will try to take the revenge and and launch another war like it did in with chechnya for example uh, like it did in georgia also as well and um, the, the thinking i think should be mid and long term as well not only short term
1: speaking again uh, but taking another angle uh, um uh, about uh, self-inflicted wounds and wounded empires. Self-mutilation actually borders on inferiority complex and sometimes is a means of uh, emphasizing the inferiority complex and uh, provoking uh, respective feelings from uh, your partners or whatever. In this respect Ukrainians uh, have all have often said that uh, they are imbued with the inferiority complex for different reasons how far we are from the danger of uh, becoming a self-wounded state or self-wounded nation
0: I think that the the past year since 2014 2013 2014 uh, uh, helped Ukrainians to overcome to, to a very large extent this, uh, this uh, inferiority cons- uh, complex, both with regard to Russia and with regard to other parts of the world, because it is true that uh, in the 90s, 1990s, Ukraine was a country uh, people... In their majority wanted to leave uh, because of the poverty because of the uh, economic condition because of the very dubious sense of identity and then it was growing i think this sense of identity primarily and economic condition were all you know uh, ameliorating improving and uh, uh, and i think ukrainians gradually were overcoming this sense of uh, inferiority inferiority and of course this invasion which is very very painful and tragic and and costs lots lots of human lives uh, of of ukrainian people but at the same time it is giving to the sense uh, to the ukrainian nation that it is far more powerful than it, it, it thought and i think it is it is a discovery for many of us and uh, and uh, when we speak to people in the occupied territories, we often hear that that we actually people found the 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 strength that were that they were not really aware of. And uh, I hope that will it will it will have the long term results. I hope that uh, uh, this victories that Ukrainians are actually having against the Russian army in the Battle of Kiev, in the Battle for Kharkiv Oblast, in the Battle for Kherson, and we hope in the future counteroffensive in the East and in the South, they are really giving this sense of, uh, of being victorious. Because in the Ukrainian history, there is a lot of suffering, of course. There is a lot of victimhood. Uh, but at the same time, what we need is the sense of being victorious. Uh, and I think it it is coming actually to us. Uh,
1: being one of the people who are, to my mind, very successful in dispelling stereotypes abroad about Ukrainians, what kind of stereotypes do we have to overcome in our relations with the foreign world?
0: You mean stereotypes about the, the others or about yes. ourselves?
1: No, 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 about the others when we meet them
0: well well I think the um, I think of course anybody everybody has has big stereotypes about any particular country and now for example, uh, when when I travel in, 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 in France or Germany or or when I talk to colleagues from Spain, uh, I see that, for example, Ukrainians might have suspected that the support for Ukraine is lower in these countries than it actually is. And uh, this is very important to understand that there is a public opinion support in in, in most of these countries. It can be fluctuating, it can be going down, it can be lower, it can can be up. But uh, I think that there is this feeling and um, we should not be thinking about Europe, for example, as um, as there is sometimes thinking that it, it is well off rich continent which only cares about itself uh i think it's not true and uh and uh w- we have this feeling of 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 solidarity and, and we also see that that ukrainians kind of uh, help other countries also to uh, find their own their, their own identity, their own feeling of solidarity, because this feeling of solidarity always helps everybody. When there is something that helps us overcome our atomization, our, our unsurmountable differences, when there is something that helps us overcome it, it's actually a two-way street, it's, it's bene- beneficial both to, to the both sides. But I I also think that we have lots of stereotypes again again, about non-Western world and uh, this world should be should be discovered for Ukraine. And I, I do hope that there will be much more interesting things, not only in the interaction between Ukrainians and European or Northern Americans, but also, as I said, uh, interactions between ukrainians and uh, and people from the uh, asian countries african countries or uh, latin american countries because th- there is so much in common to 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 find and um, the, there are i think structural similarities in in cultures between many many nations which uh, which were under certain imperial rule or or, or colonization Uh, I think there are many parallels in this kind, many parallels in the way how societies are organized, many parallels in the way how you perceive art or literature. And I think there are really big discoveries to make, and I I do hope that 21st century will also be not only the the century in which Ukraine is, is, is discovered by the West, but also the century when Ukraine discovers its global role. Isn't it already? I don't know. I'm not sure. I think that I think that, uh, I think that uh, we we are really not uh, in the moment when we are discovering the big world. We are we are focused on ourselves, of course, and we are focused on our partners who are helping us economically and militarily. But uh, uh, we need to, to to discover our global role. Ukraine. I, I do I do think that Ukraine is able not only to just to fight, but also to lead, for for certain global causes, like environment, or, or or the rights of smaller nations, or denuclearization, or you name it.
1: It's not for the first time, even during this interview, that Dr. Irmolenko mentions Asian African countries, and uh, take note, Spain, France, Germany, And uh, I presume that you do not talk to people in these countries only in English. Uh, One of the worries that I have is that we are so much concentrated on the English language and uh, seeing it as a tool to reach global audiences, that we forget or overlook some other important languages in the world, both, uh, let's say, European and non-European. How
0: do we overcome this problem? Yes, I think I think we we should work uh, in this direction too. It's good that Ukraine learned how to communicate in English. That's already a very good thing. I also I also speak French, I understand German and Ukraine World actually has five language uh, versions. We have uh, we have accounts, Twitter accounts in English, German, french spanish and italian and i think the more languages we can speak the better especially given the fact that in many countries of the world very unexpectedly there is ukrainian diaspora there there are ukrainians who actually know these languages It's, it's very important to talk in japanese it's very important to talk in hebrew it's very important to talk, to try to talk in Chinese as well, I think, with African countries, I guess, it's it's important to talk not only in English, but in French, for example, or with Latin America in Spanish and Portuguese. And I, I, I do hope that uh, we will get there. So the. I feel that interest among among some young people in Ukraine that to, to go beyond Europe, to go beyond America, to learn Asian languages, for example. Uh, but we need time, of course, for that. We need time. It, it's true that there are not so many French speakers in Ukraine, there are not so many Spanish speakers. I'm not sure there are many Hindu speakers, right? And. Uh, uh, and there is a big, big challenge to 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 go that that way. Yeah,
1: but we have to keep in mind uh, that just as we like when we are dressed in Ukrainian, and we probably perceive some things better when we hear them in our own language, than, for instance, French or sp- Spanish-speaking audiences would better understand and better perceive what uh, is given to them in those languages.
0: Absolutely, and there and therefore, and therefore, we have these uh, language versions who are actually run in these countries. The Spanish version of Ukraine World is run in Spain the German version, uh, version by people in Germany, the French version by our, our colleagues in France, uh, the Italian version by our colleague in Italy. So this is very important that these people are there, that they understand the local specifics, the local culture, the local information space, and uh, they try to tell uh, this story, the Ukrainian story, to make it better understood in, in these languages.
1: Uh, Also during our conversation you said you compared Ukraine to the underdog, but how much we are a duck horse in this world?
0: That's an interesting question. I do think that we are in, in many ways our terra incognita uh, and we will continue to be a terra incognita for quite a long time because in order not to be terra incognita, we have to really, our, our literature has to be massively translated. Our, our movies has to be broadcasted, uh, and, and, sh- and, and made, uh, and, and broadcasted and, um, I, I hope we will come uh, to this, but um in this respect, I think that Ukrainian message to the world should also be that look, we were overseen, we were overlooked by so many decades and even centuries, and and suddenly you realize that Ukraine is a fantastic and very interesting country. And therefore there is so much to know also to learn about other parts of the world which are probably marginalized, which are not noticed. When did you
1: realize that Ukraine is a wonderful country and very interesting? Because I believe that uh, each and every one of us has special uh, uh, stages when we come to the understanding of this. Was it from the early childhood or maybe later?
0: I think that for, for me actually even even the, the hard times of the 1990s were also beautiful times and uh, uh, I remember the last uh, last years of my school in Kyiv in in the mid 90s and then the first years uh, at the University Kyiv Mohila Academy where I entered and I, I I met so many wonderful people so we didn't have money at the time the economy was in ruins almost but there was the spirit of uh, personal communication which was which was magnificent and uh, i think at that time it, is, it, it was clear for me that I'm not going to leave the country, it's It's very interesting to be here. And then, of course, we went through the really historical processes. So we went through the Orange Revolution, then we went through Euromaidan, and even during the war, uh, despite the fact that it is, again, very painful and very tragic, but there is something in, in human nature which which develops, which shows itself, which, which you cannot really discover in the peaceful times. The, the, the courage, the altruism, the self-sacrifice, the, the, the humanity, all this is, is present here. And therefore, I think, indeed, Ukraine is now one of the central points of the global history. And the difference with the Second World War, in which Ukraine also was a central point of, of the global history, as, as Timothy Snyder showed in his book, Ukraine, Belarus, Poland. Today, uh, it is recognized. It is recognized by, by, by the world that Ukraine is indeed the, one of the central points of global history. Probably
1: the last question in this conversation. I, uh, For the last time I have seen you in person something like four or five days ago when you were presenting a translation of a biographical book about Susan Zontag and there were something like 30 people all in all in the audience. Why a person of such a note would spend um, at least two hours talking to... 20 or 30 people
0: why not Uh, when we when we travel across ukraine with you know with our team from penn ukraine we sometimes meet spend hours talking to uh, 10 people 15 people Uh, sometimes we make events for hundreds of people Uh, sometimes some of my posts on twitter has several millions of views uh, but sometimes i i really spend several hours with talking to a few people i think uh, it's all necessary i also keep on teaching at kiv mahila academy and sometimes on the seminars we have just a few students and last year uh, on, on one of the of my courses there were only two uh, and at some point i was even talking to one student uh, for uh, for several weeks so I do think that this is this is important to you know we are not the slaves of quantity or you know, slaves of numbers sometimes in order to go deeper uh, you you really need to talk to a few people only and to be a master of quality of the quality
1: that is so characteristic of a philosopher writer author journalist volodymyr yermolenko doctor yermolenko who was our interlocutor in this podcast Ukraine Colin from Gromatsky Radio.